Here we go again. All right. All right. So, bottom line is, is that you know, uh, God knows in His all wisdom and everything that eventually He's going to send them a human king, right? And it's going to be Jesus, you know, Yeshua, and that He is going to fulfill all the roles that they desired and then some. And I believe that's why the messianic kingdoms here, because all of these things that are going to be fulfilled are going to be uh, the promises that God made through Abraham in dealing with the land and all of the things there. So the, God's uh, you know, words and his oath are, is still to be actually played out in the so-called messianic kingdom when we still have fleshly people like ourselves and like those outside over there that are necessarily not uh, you know, believers in Christ will still eventually be in the messianic kingdom, Right? Everybody agree with that? Well, we'll we'll go further into it. But you know, um, you know what we want to kind of look at is this idea of, and I'm going to give you a biblical example about the fact that you know when when God speaks, then His word comes forth, right? That that's the kind you know creation. God spoke, and creation was. So the voice and the word of God is all there for us to understand. But we, we've talked about uh, the relationship, and we've made these statements that are hard to really grab hold of. And, we made, and we've said, okay, when, when this all begins, it begins at Passover when they come out of Egypt, Right? But they're not through. They, they actually come through the sea on the third day, you know, in the Red Sea, and they continue on, and they continue on, really, if you count the days, 50 days, and they come to Pentecost. Okay? That's the way it's laid out in the Bible to us. So... When we're studying all of these things, we say, well, this is, in essence, the first coming. You know, what's the main themes of this? You know, redemption, you know, deliverance through the Red Sea, you know, but they're not through. He's journeying on through. He's going to establish them, and he's going to make them a new creation. They were slaves, right? Now they're going to be free, they're going to be set free, and they're now going to be set free, but they become slaves to basically, now, I don't like to use that word, but that's really how it's uh, you know, kind of framed, to, to the Father, their master, like you one said, right? Master. But, but it's really a marriage. They're marrying the Father, and he's now giving them all of those things that they need to learn how to do in order to be one with him and to be his people. Now, the thing is, is they could not see that there was a whole lot more coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like we can't really see what's going to happen in the Messianic kingdom, we think we maybe, we, we have all this stuff that with theology and but we really don't know exactly how the messianic kingdom's going to unfold, and I don't think they did either. But, you know, at this point in time, we say that this is how the first coming, when Jesus shows up onto the scene, right? He's killed on Passover. 
he, he's uh, uh, delivered in a sense from the grave, same third day, and then they journey. You know, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and they come down, and it comes and says in Acts 2, you come to the day of Pentecost in the Bible. So they're following the same pattern that, that took place back in Egypt. You know, in, in one respect, when you talk about the kingdom of God, you're talking about it being established here, but it's established in a fleshly, in a sense, of the physical flesh. But when we get to Jesus, now we're talking, and, and let me back up. He's established them in a new beginning, a new creation. And this is the story here when Jesus shows up. He's establishing, but now in this, it's a new creation. And there's going to be a new covenant that's going to come out. And there's going to be a new covenant in the sense of the marriage. And we're going to see now that Jesus is going to be the bridegroom. And the body of the believers, the people, are going to be the bride. We all been listening to that forever, right? Huh? Where you been? <laughs> but, but you understand what I'm saying. You can see it all over the New Testament that, you know, we are being led to a place in Hebrews 12 where it says to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we're not being led to Mount Sinai. We're being led to Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem, right? So we get to this point right in here where the kingdom of God is going to be brought down into, you know, the world. So let's, let, let's uh, go over there and, and look at this. And at Mount Sinai, what, what did they hear when it started? They heard the sound, the wind, actually the trumpet of God and all of the noise that was coming at that, which was the shofar of God. But here they're going to hear what? In Acts 2. Y'all can turn over there. So it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It's really a parallel back to over there in Exodus where it says, and they all were in one accord and they came up to the mountain. Mm -hmm. And, and it says, and, uh, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, we read this as the violent wind, right? Or a rushing wind. What we know is that if we went outside our house in Sally, it makes a lot of noise, that wind. <laughs> you know, it's not just silent, right? And so, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing a, uh, what I call a, uh, an illusion, alluding to the sound of the shofar or the noise, that God is fixing to do something, right? And, and that's what's fixing to happen here. And they, in order for you to really grasp what's happening here, you have to remember an old teaching that we did on the Tower of Babel. What happened at the Tower of Babel? 
with their language. He confused their language. In other words, if you go back over there, it's going to tell you they all spoke with one language back over there at the Tower of Babel. And when they did what they did, God came down and confused their language or confused their tongue where they could not communicate with one another. Be like uh, you know, calling AT&T or DISH, you know. What? <laughs> you know, I, can't, I just can't understand the folks, you know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, anyway, but you, you have to realize that this is being... When we talk about the kingdom of God is at hand and this new creation, he's taking and he's beginning to take and restore back their language. And I just want you to go over to Zephaniah 3, 9 and read that one for me, somebody. Zephaniah 3 9. What's that? Then will I purify the lips of the peoples. Okay, what version do you have? Uh, the NIV. Is that what it says? What do you got? For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. Anybody else got anything different? What's King James say? Similar? What King James? Anybody got the King James? I do. I just got one. <laughs> you don't know where Zephy is, huh? Well, it's somewhere near the New Testament. It's right before it somewhere. But it is. Okay. Okay. I think I'm just going like that. Okay, so I'm Haggai. Where is it for Haggai? Where is it? Let me stop the... Uh, <laughs> let me stop the recording. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it, it's right in front of Haggai. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking Zechariah what? 3-9. Zephaniah. Zephaniah. <laughs> Don't do that to him. This way? The King James says pure language. Okay, right before Haggai? Three nine. For then I will turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him in one. So, you know, basically saying all the same thing, but in, in rea- you know, reality and summing it up that, you know, that their language that was divided, that he would in the future restore back to just one language, a pure language, which some would tell you is Hebrew. And, you know, some would say you might as well start learning it because you're going to speak it forever. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, neither to be said, but... You know, you understand that what's going to happen here back in Acts 2, we can go back to Acts 2, is that um, you're going to have this sound 
And when we talk about this wind, right? When you talk about the shofar or the even the trumpet, you know, it's a wind instrument, right? So when we speak, when we form our words, how does it happen? Air flows through the voice box, you know, or the vocal cords, and then it, it, the sound that comes out is eventually formed into words, right? How many? <laughs> Come on, where? And you see this really in the very beginning when Adam is uh, brought into the picture on the sixth day. He actually, God breathes or blows into him. And he didn't have life. And, you know, this is all paralleled in the analogy of, you know, my word is life and, you know, so forth and so on. But he's breathing into them his word. And this is the essence of the new covenant, right? That he's going to write his word upon our hearts and in our minds and, you know, so forth and so on. That's the new covenant. Not on the uh, tablets of stone, but in our heart. So he's blowing it into them. And so when it back to Acts 2, it says that uh, the whole house, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, another version would say probably they saw a cloven tongues or divided tongues. Which version? Huh? Acts 2, uh, verse uh, 2 or 3, yeah. You're right. So you see there that it, it, it refers to the idea that uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on them. Now, I always tell people that, and it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? Now, it's not that the people there were all speaking in other tongues. It's referring to the disciples. Skywatch just said that. Well, there you go. There's a witness over there. Do I got two? (laughs) Okay, so... And that's kind of, you know, depending on where you got your story taught to you along the way, you may think it's, the, but no, you, this is validated easily because they say here in verse 7, and utterly amazed, they ask, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Which is where they were from, the Galilee, you know. Then how it is each of us hears them in his own native language. So the interesting thing is they're speaking in tongues, but the hearers are hearing them in their own language as if though they're all speaking the same tongue, but they're all hearing it clearly. They can hear it, and yet they speak different languages, which is the tie-in to the Tower of Babel, right? And so I always say, well, you know, then they list out these things from where they're from, and and they they um, let me see. Um, yeah, because see, like your footnotes talk about like it's all the people there. Yeah. 
Okay, and, and read uh, um, uh, who's got uh, verse 9. Oh, excuse me. Go, go back. Uh, verse 5, excuse me. Notice, don't want you to miss that. Notice what it says in verse 5. Now there, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from where? Now how in the world is that possible? <laughs> you, know, you know, when we talk from every nation, you know, under heaven seems like a very, you know, vast, you know, just like he dispersed <laughs> them to the nations, he's giving this reference to their all, these God-fearing Jews under the heaven from the nations. Every nation, mine says, right? So, you know, there there's a, a definite, you know, tie-in to the idea that the kingdom of God is returning to and it's being empowered into the disciples and now they're speaking and they're hearing these things and they're beginning to realize that this is something that we've never heard before because, you know, once again, you know, uh, the, the, the miracles and things have been not around a whole lot until Jesus showed up and now here his students are doing things that are like, you know, a, a major event. But, but at this point in time, here, right here, the birth of the kingdom of God is coming to all mankind on the day of Pentecost. Just like up here, they were birthed as a nation to be a light unto the world. Here, same thing's taking place, but now the kingdom of God, which we call the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the reason those are different is the Jews don't say the word God, so they substitute the word kingdom of heaven. And, and it being birthed, at this point, from this point forward, into what we begin to read in the Gospels, right? Everybody got that? You know, Clear as mud. Yeah. When it says about the multitude, the multitudes came together in every nation of the heaven. In forty-nine, because we've been talking about Isaiah, he talks about coming back to Israel and it's they're coming from everywhere and there's questions about the capacity of Israel to hold all the Jewish people. It's kind of a question because yeah. they didn't, all they had here was the Old Testament. They didn't have the, you know, when they wrote this. Yeah. Well, and, and you go on here, you know, and of course there's an important the passage in here dealing with Joel 2 where he, he says, and you know, in the, in the last day I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. <clears throat> You know, and this is all, this is, it's beginning, you know, and that's the point. It was beginning back in the time of Moses here, and now that in the new covenant, the new marriage, you know, in a sense of the word, it's beginning here. And we're under the new covenant. You know, we're, we're in, we're, we're saying, we're saying yes to our bridegroom, Jesus, that we will do what you say. And, I could told Bud that we're, we're, we're seemingly following their path and we're falling away, you know, and you kind of get to Revelations and you see the same thing that there are a lot of people that say they believe, but they're not really doing God's ways. They're not following his ways. They do say they believe, 
but we won't get into that. What I do want to get into is the fact that you've got to see that the kingdom is being offered here. They fall away. God basically has this new covenant that he's going to give because he never gives up on them. And here you're seeing this coming forth. He's giving them a spiritual the time and the fullness of time in the new creation's beginning right here. It was in present with Jesus when he came, but it's really at Acts 2 that the birth of the nation is taking place. And this time they're now, rather than receiving the Torah, they're receiving the Spirit. And the Spirit then is going to, what's the job of the Holy Spirit over there and somewhere in the gospel? One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of sin. sin. Well, out in the world of election protest, <laughs> how do they know what sin is? How would anybody know what sin is? Well, because God gave the Torah. So if, he, if the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of sin then he's basically saying when you're violating the Torah, <clears throat> violating the Torah, then you're to trying to turn back. You're to turn back and come back to God, correct your step and stay on the path. It's not really changed. It's now we have this new creation and we're not being judged by how well we do this we're putting our faith in the new covenant of the marriage in the belief that Jesus paid the price and did it all. And you've got to see this in this respect, okay? I know it's getting heavy. When Jesus is the king of Israel, he is going to be all of Israel. And so he comes forth is he is he is he uh, speaking his is he speaking his own words? He, he's speaking the Father's words. He's he's doing the Father's will. And 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 let me say it like this: He's obeying His voice. He's hearing the word, and he's obeying the voice. So he's fulfilling all of the things that God said here back at Mount Sinai. He's fulfilling it. They couldn't fulfill it. And we're told that by Paul. He's fulfilling it. So in essence, that's why I believe he says, I'm one with the Father. One with one. We'll go like that. One with one. Jesus is all of Israel. And we get this so that, you know, uh, the, the president, when he goes overseas and he says something, he represents who? You and me, everybody. Yeah, he's our representative, and so if he enters us into a contract, we're all bound by it. Why? Because we gave him the authority by we voted him in. Gee, that's a bad subject. And so, so the thing is, is that when you realize that Jesus was the one that actually fulfilled. When they say all this stuff, you know, it's really deep, but. He's fulfilling all of the things that took place at Mount Sinai because he obeyed God's voice, his father's voice, and he fulfilled everything that God desired for him. And then what happens to him? 
sacrifice for our sins. He dies. So if he died, right, he's no longer married anymore in a sense of the word. He can now take another wife. You know, if your my Lisa dies, bless her heart, <laughs> then I'd be free to come out of that contract and marry another. And I wouldn't violate God's rule. And in essence, that's basically what happened here. We all died with Christ, so now we're able to enter into a new marriage contract that we call the new covenant, and now Jesus is the bridegroom, and we're the bride. And that's basically the complicated story that's taking place here, right? So, how do we get back to the wind instrument and the jubilee? There, this is something that you need to see the parallel to, and I'm going to just erase this underneath here. So, right here we said they're counting 50 days. And if you look at this, that 7 times 7 equal 49, and the plus 1 the next day is 50. Right? This is given to you in Leviticus and places of how do you count the day. It's called counting the omer in, 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 from a Jewish world, the measure. But it's seven weeks or seven Sabbaths and seven full weeks is 49 days. And the next day is the day of Pentecost. Okay? And there's a parallel to this. And it's given to you in Leviticus 25. You've got seven years times seven years is how many years? Four years. <laughs> it's easy math, right? Plus one year. And the next year is what? Jubilee. It's the Yovel or the Jubilee. And so what does the Jubilee teach us? What's one of the main things? And it's in Leviticus 25. It's going to teach you about the fact that the land and the slaves are all set free and the land returns back to the original owner. And it's very important in our discussion here on all of this stuff because there's a major event that occurs on the Jubilee. So go back to, to Leviticus and let's read it for ourselves. Uh, uh, no, 23. No, 25, excuse me. <laughs> I'm trying to find it in my Bible. And in Leviticus 25, we begin to get the Sabbath year. Just like for seven day, six days, the seventh day is the Sabbath, for six years, the seventh year is a sabbatical year. And the land is to rest. And if they never did this, and they actually paid the price for this, and that's how long they went into captivity for the times that they did not keep what God commanded. But there's really no real reference that you can see that they ever really kept the Jubilee. 
and it probably because they're so human because they would have to give their land back to the original owner and they wouldn't want to lend money and there's a lot of things that you could say well I know why they didn't do it but but anyway you see what it says there it, it goes in uh, Leviticus 25 it gives you count off seven Sabbath verse 8 Count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of the years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. Now, if you look that word up for trumpet, it's going to be shofar. Once again, you know, it's going to be what I say that, you know, this is a major event and God's going to be showing up, right? Well, if we... Tell me what day do you sign that sound that so far? Huh? Tenth day of the seventh month. What? Tenth day of the seventh month. Tishrei. All right. What is that a specific day for any anything else happening on that day? Yeah. So basically, it's telling them that they are to sound the shofar at the year of jubilee. When that event comes, it's to be sounded on that day, right? Now, the Jews sound the shofar in the synagogues every Yom Kippur, and that's because it can be, but it's not really, it's not really this particular shofar sound. And I say that because this is something associated strictly with the 50-year cycle that they're to do this. And this is very important because, you know, what we know, if we go over there and keep reading, it says here, um, they have, have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the uh, the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. Y'all need to underline that. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property, each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself for the harvest unintended vine, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you and eat only what is taken directly from the field. And this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. And it goes on. And it says, you know, that if you... Uh, uh, your land and, and so forth and so on. Let's move down. It says, I will send you a blessing, verse 21, uh, in the sixth year that that land will yield enough for three years. Do you understand what he said there when he said three years? Why is that important? Where does it say that? What verse? 21. Yeah. Oh. Three years. He's going to send them a blessing. So, you got to remember these sabbatical years the land's supposed to be resting okay so that's the first year and that's the second year but in order for them to get through these times of harvest they got to get through the to the third year so he's telling them he's going to give them enough 
harvest in this year here before it goes into the sabbatical year that's going to bring them through all of these this period of time where they're not to plan anything. Boy, now that takes some faith, doesn't it? <laughs> Lord, are you sure you're going to plan enough? You know, but that's the that's the story behind it. You know, when he when he's talking about that. So, um, verse twenty three: the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, and you are only aliens. Mm, we've seen that before. And my tenants throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. And if one of your countrymen, countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his, uh, his countrymen has sold. Boaz and Ruth. Isn't that the story of Boaz and Ruth? Right? She's, she's, uh, her husband's died. You know, she's uh, nearest relative is in a sense through, through Naomi, is Boaz. And so he goes and he redeems her. And he also redeems their land. But he really wasn't a an a, a, a exact uh, you know, brother in law or something. He was actually more down the line. That's why you have to go through what he does with the persons at uh, his uh, family at the gates. But he also ends up giving birth and he marries Ruth, right? And Ruth really was a Gentile. So it's a, and when is the book of Ruth read? In your, it, it, when, it, when you have biblical readings for these days, when is the book read? Because Jews don't read the Bible like we do, you know, willy-nilly. They read it throughout on a pattern and in, in, in a specific order. It's read on the day of Pentecost. It fits right into the story for what you're learning about redemption and the land and so forth and so on. And it goes into all of this uh, right of redemption and so forth and so on. And it gives you kind of more and more detail about this. And it even gets into the alien. Verse 39, if one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. He is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released, and he will go back to his own clan and to the property of his forefathers. Because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves, and do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. And he's really telling you that the slaves are set free. Well, when you go back to our story... Jesus, you know, at the time that we received the Holy Spirit, we're no longer slaves to the flesh or to sin. We're slaves to what? Righteousness. You know, we're, we're, we're being set free like they were in Egypt, but not to just do what they want. They're being set free to come to the fact that they're to now be a slave to righteousness and follow God's ways. And but they don't have to worry about being a servant or a slave in bondage anymore. We were in bondage to sin, you know, bondage to the flesh, but now we're born of the spirit. You know, the story is is in in and around uh, you know that theme. So, all that being said, Bub would probably say, uh, "Stop! Has anybody got anything to want to add to that?" Or I got a question. okay, good. 
<laughs> when you end up on the 50th day, okay? Uh -huh. In order to th that to fall exactly on the Day of Atonement, it's got to start on a significant date. No. Why? Because it doesn't necessarily, what it's really saying is once the year of Jubilee occurs, right? They declare it on a Yom Kippur. But if they declare it, it's got to land on. No, it doesn't have to. It could land, say, say it landed on Rosh Hashanah. But they would not declare the Jubilee until they came to Yom Kippur. I know what you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, that it has, but it doesn't. It, it's just that it's saying that they, they will declare the Jubilee. Why is that? Why would they declare the Jubilee on a Yom Kippur? Because this is the day, you know, when you get into the fall feast, you get into the day of judgment here at Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's, it's two days, and then you go into the seven days, which is really considered to be Jacob's trouble in the tribulation. But on the tenth day of, Nisa, uh, of Tishrei, on Yom Kippur, this is when the, the, the high priest goes behind the veil, and he, he, he pronounces the name of God. This is the only time that the high priest or any priest is able to pronounce the name of God. They never say the name of God out loud, but on this day, they declare his name, and from that point forward, when you know the story of the two you know, goats, and you know they go, and, and this is whether or not their sins are going to be uh, uh, forgiven, and they go into the new year, you know, from that point forward with a clean slate. Right up in our alley, right? We're waiting for the second coming. We're going to the messianic kingdom with a clean slate. It's the same story, basically, but, you know, it's in the ceremony. So that's why it could occur whenever the count. See, that's the thing. Nobody really knows where the county is on the Jubilee in the Bible. Nobody. But we get something really interesting given to us. And I guess I'll go ahead and give it to you. And it's in Matthew 4, I do believe, if, unless I'm not calling it out right. You know, some thought about the birth of Christ being in the history of the month of history. You that? Absolutely. Uh, I, Which connects with what we're talking about. Absolutely. I believe he was wholeheartedly born, you know, uh, on a specific day. Yeah, but it, in, within Tishrei. Yes. Okay. Um, when Jesus goes in to the... Um, and, and reads, it may not be in Matthew, and he declares, and this this is uh, in, is hearing, and your hearing today is fulfilled. What is that? Anybody know? You know, when he goes in and reads of uh, uh, Isaiah, the Spirit is upon me. Maybe it was in Luke. Oh, okay. Go to Luke 4. 
Alright. Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord, verse 18. Is, 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 the Spirit of the Lord is on me, upon me, because He has anointed me. He has mashiach me to preach good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim what? Freedom. To the prisoners. The slave. You could say that like this. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the printer and recover the sight for the blind and to release the oppressed and to proclaim what? The favorable year of the Lord and to proclaim liberty. This is exactly the language of the Jubilee. Which is major because he's doing this at the very beginning of his ministry. And I know y'all don't want to be date setters because we don't want to do that, do we? But it tells us something. If this, and I say if this, is a clue and it would fit right into the scenario because that's what he's doing he's actually proclaiming liberty and all the captives are set free and all the other languages but that right there the favorable year of the Lord when all that which is returns back to the original owner and we already know that the earth is mine right that's what God says so if he actually begins his ministry, because what he says is, notice what he says there after that, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's, you know, you never probably looked at it quite like that. But he's really kind of putting an exclamation on the point that that day was the Jubilee. And it fits the whole story of the whole gospel and everything else about what's going to unfold. Right? So, this gets back into when was Jesus born? What year? How many of y'all have done any what I call the you know, looking for the birth date, real true date of Jesus' birth, and, you know, haven't we all kind of looked into a little bit of that? And, 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 and you would kind of, you get anywhere from 4 B.C., you know, to, you know, really you could say 5 B.C. to 2 B.C., you know, they're, they're, the, the scholars and everybody that's looked into this to the best of their ability due to the Caesars and Tiberius and all of these distant, distant things that, you know, what things happened at a certain time, I think they're comet and so forth and so on. Herod actually, we believe, you know, that when we talk about all of this, Herod died shortly after Jesus' birth. He was already sick. You know, and you know, you can pick this all up in Josephus and various other things, but if you go and you go, okay, well, Jesus, how how long 
How old was Jesus when he began his earthly earthly ministry? Huh? Is that scriptural? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. It's told to you. On a little place, it says, And Jesus began his earthly ministry at 30 years old. And that goes in line with the fact that a priest begins to serve when he's 30 years old. You know, and he's really going to be operating in the role of the high priest, right? And so when he comes and he goes into that, so if we say 30 years, right? And how long was his earthly ministry? Three and a half half years. And he died on what? Technically, you know, you could say that he died on Nisan 14, but you could put 15 too because it was in 3 o'clock in the afternoon before the day changed, right? So, if that being the case, and his ministry was three and a half years, and he died on a on that date. What day would he have been born on? Day one. Huh? That's a day one. It's your time, Jim. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, six months earlier. Yep. Would be Tishrei fifteen. But he would have. And you could say slash fourteen. Because his earthly ministry was three and a, you know what day he died on, because that's the main point of the story. But he had to be crucified before the synagogue, because they that was the day they read on the Sabbath. They read the Passover. I mean, that, oh, they had the pa- that, oh, yeah. the Passover. So he had to be he had to be crucified he, before the Sabbath. Right, and. That's, that well, the, 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 the high Sabbath of, of the Passover. Because right. Nisan 15th is a high Sabbath. No matter when it falls, it doesn't matter. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's a Sabbath day. But, yeah, but they had to stay away from that. And, and so he, he, he dies on the, on the ninth hour, which is technically for three us three, p, uh, 3 p.m. Yeah. So he's got three hours to get him in the grave before... Yeah. The, the, the Passover begins and they can't touch a dead the you know, there's yeah. all kinds of things that they wanted to do because it would make them unclean and so forth and so on but but going back to our story we kind of know this and, and this is falling in line with the tribulation how long is the period of tribulation you know that we're given in the Bible how many months 42 months right you know, he gives it to us to a point that we get it. it and we're all, you got to understand, this is all based upon a 360-day year. But you get that 42 months, three and a half, you know, you're given that. That's what we're operating on in, in Revelation. And so it's following the same pattern. He's going to come to the, uh, in, in the tribulation, the gospel's going to come to the Jew first. And then on the second half of the three uh, three and a half years, it's going to go to the Gentiles. And they go out into the nations, the 144,000s, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It's following the same pattern. But but what I want you to see here, if you, if you add, if you go back and you add this back into this time, right, 
The question is whether it's two or four. They're all a little bit fuzzy on the exact date. They don't know exactly, but what they do know, it's very possible that he declared this then, in the beginning of his earthly ministry. When he began, he declared it in his hometown. So if you add that, and you get into the calculations, and it's all on the internet, so you can go and blow your mind with it. But there are those... Wikipedia, right? (laughs) No, we don't deal with... They're all saying that it looks as if though the calculation of the Jubilee and all of this coming together is the year 2028. Now, I know that we've been sitting here for the last hundred years and go, 1917, Balfour Declaration. 1948, Israel born as a nation, 50 years of that, 1990. Uh, 1967, and you know, we keep adding that 2017. And we keep adding this time cycle to this 50-year thing because we're trying to, you know, because, and people say, well, you're not supposed to do Well, no, that's not, we're told to watch, right? We're told to watch. So if this is true, and I, I'm telling you, this is just discussion. I'm not giving you, I don't want uh, you to go, well, Warren says it's all going to, you know. <clears throat> But I'm a believer that the tribulation period is prior to this time. So what happens with uh, if we're in the Jewish so, year right now of 5781? So the you, tribulation starts you, at 6,000, like you were talking about last time. Well, we've discussed that they know, and they all know that the years of the bad kings and the times of the captivity, that the calendar is off about 200 and something years. Okay, so that's where you... I think I said that last week, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. All right, get your head off your... You want me to change my opinion on that? You can go read about that. Read about that. <laughs> but, but if you subtract seven years from it, that brings us to 2021. Got to Ooh. how many how many days to the end of the year? So we start twenty one. We're on fast tracking. So 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 one one could say that well, gee whiz, that would mean when we get to Rosh Hashanah now, maybe we'll hear that trumpet. But I'm just telling you, these things are out there, and this is not the when you get into looking at some of this stuff. This goes into biblical documents and. This is not, you know, and I don't mean this ugly, Skywatch News. This is, you know, Josephus and all of these people that have looked at the timing of all of these events and they're looking, you know, they're discussing and and I think it's all kind of, and that's why they do this, plus or minus, because they don't know really truly how all this is lining up, but what they do know that in his first year of his ministry, he declared that this was the fable year of the Lord and he said to proclaim liberty and that it was fulfilled in your hearing today. So that's major. You know, we looked at, we read all that stuff, but we really never knew the language and the impact that it has on the Jubilee and the Jubilee has a major impact on all of the 
uh, fulfillment of scriptures in the essence of what it's, uh, it stands for and what's even greater is it's declared on a Yom Kippur by the sound of a great shofar in other words it's called even the name is given under this is the shofar hagadol it's the, uh, the, the voice of God that declares on Yom Kippur, the Jubilee, okay? Now, and we discussed this a little bit last year. We believe that study this stuff, that this is without a doubt symbolic in all of the teachings of the second coming of Christ, Yom Kippur. When you get to Rosh Hashanah, there scriptures in the Bible that talk about open the gates. Open the gates of righteousness where the righteous may enter. And they believe that when that, 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 and that we said was the last trump. This is the great trumpet of God. And that's where they're getting it all wrong in Matthew 24. When Matthew 24 says, and let's go back over there and read it since we started there. And the people that are saying, all right, there it is. I mean, you know. Verse 30. At that time, the Son of Man, chapter 24, will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud great trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other and it goes on and as we drop on down there it it said uh, at the very end uh, and this is where it gets into two men will be taken and the other left and so forth and so on and, and people say that, well, right there also, and I always say, well, no, where are the ones that are being taken? When two men are going to be taken, one will be taken and the other left, where's the one being taken to? What's he say? What's he say? In verse uh, 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill. One will be. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know. But understand this if what the owner of the house had known at the time of the night that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And he goes on down into this in, in another place. It's not in, this, in Matthew. It, uh, it says that those that are being taken are being taken to wherever the vultures are gathered. Well, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody. <laughs> so where are the vultures being gathered? Nobody knows where the vultures, they're in the book. you got five minutes. I got five minutes to show you where the vultures are being gathered. They're being gathered over here in Revelations 19. It is coming. Where he just said, when he's coming, at the end of the tribulation, 
in verse 7, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice. Here, <laughs> see it all up. To all the birds flying in midair, come and gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. <laughs> That's the great supper of God. And in Jewish literature, it's given the name the Feast of Leviathan. And you probably, you and Jim, and some of y'all maybe have seen the word Leviathan. You know, that's the seven-headed beast that rises up out of the sea that's representative of the uh, kingdom of the Antichrist. And so, you know, those that are being gathered, it is coming, those are being gathered to be devoured by the beast of the field and the birds of the air. In other words, that's why we say that nobody at his coming... And once the great shofar is sounded right here, nobody, the gates are closed to heaven. In other words, you can't get in. It's over with in a sense. And that now, those people are being gathered to be consumed, die, death. And at the end of that, we go into the messianic kingdom and the only people that are alive on the earth are those that have believed and accepted the gospel. So the only people alive are the righteous ones in the flesh because, see, the others were left. And they're being, you know, they go into the messianic kingdom in the flesh. And, of course, you know, we'll get into the other part that we're not in the flesh at that time. We're in the spirit body, you know, so we, we don't coincide with, necessarily with what that's talking about there that's far talking about people in the flesh but you see how all of this is related to you know going back to the shofar and the last trump and the gates to heaven are open and you know then the gate and that's what they do the very last service on Yom Kippur they blow the shofar and it's called Nilah the closing of the gates and that's what they did in the temple and the gates were closed. So, you know, <laughs> I know that'll stick in your head, but it's something to look at, but it shouldn't take us to think, oh boy, the nearness of his coming, you know. I uh, need to really work a little harder on my attitude. <laughs> right, Lisa? <laughs> but, you know, I know we kind of, well, that's a lot, you know. God, you got to be just, your head's got to be just swelling. Maybe not. One minute. One minute. Well, let's stop here and let's, uh, let's just go for some uh, questions.